0: The Drawing Today Podcast, Draw Every Day.
1: All right, well, we've got a, another podcast for you folks out there today, and we've got three people on the podcast today. Let's start with Mike.
0: Hi, my name is Mike Sass, and you can see my work at sassart.com.
2: And Alan? Yeah, my name is Alan Douglas, and I am at com.
1: And I am Mark Harchar, and I am at markharchar.com. Well, today we've got a list of topics that was provided to us by one of our Drawn Today members. Well, mostly, but anyway. Okay. Um,
0: Grant had... Uh, posed the question about fantasy illustration versus generalized commercial illustration. Are we in the right field? Now, it's a little difficult for me to talk about that because I don't currently have any experience with things that are not fantasy illustration, although when I did go to college 15 years ago, it was before... Any of this, you know, computer illustration or video game illustration was around. And back then, illustration was generally editorial or advertising based. So, you had a strong style. Style was a very big thing and your work was more or less, I would say, decorative for annual reports, magazine articles, stories, and, uh, you know, things like financial magazines or current events magazines, lifestyle magazines. I have a few friends that went to college that are still doing this. But I have – think I've heard from other podcasts that that field has really gone down the tubes lately as well. Um, probably, you know, with the advent of – stock illustration, photography, easy digital manip's, those sorts of things. The things that have generally weakened uh the market forces for illustration in general, I think have hurt um the editorial illustration field even more acutely because as I said, I think that stuff was more more thought of as decorative to a certain article or story, not intrinsic to a product like um, like a lot of genre illustration is, or book covers. So what do you guys know about today's other fields of illustration, like the editorial fields or the the types of illustrations being commissioned outside of the fantasy sci-fi realm? Can anyone talk about that? Um,
2: well, editorial is definitely taken a hit from everything you see, and advertising as well. Um, but... I mean, coming back to the original question, which was, uh, is it right for you, the fantasy field? And obviously that, that's obviously a personal question. Um, as far as, you know, if fantasy is your first true love, then, um, you know, it's probably for you. Um, the one thing I want to say about that, though, is though, even if you do just fantasy stuff, which I think I probably do mostly fantasy stuff, um, it's a good idea to, Spread your work through different markets, um, and I, by that I don't mean I don't mean change your style and be a jack of all trades. But you can spread your your work through different markets um, by advertising in places that um, wouldn't normally be looking for, um, you know, that maybe your gaming companies and things like that, those that are, are typical of the fantasy field would not be looking for. Um, you know, I've been on some. Uh, you know, I'm on a few uh, paid um, illustration sites out there where art directors go to find talent. And there's a bunch of projects I got through those type of venues that, you know, I wouldn't got I wouldn't have gotten if I was just promoting myself to just gaming companies and stuff like that. Um, you know, some of the things I've done are, are for children's magazines or or individual designers hiring me through ad agencies. Um, I did a an app for mobile devices, um, avatars for, um, barnesandnoble.com, things like that. Even some of my book covers, they're, uh, you know, they go down the lines of historical fiction, um, or even some textbook work. Um, and all those are jobs I would not have gotten if I was just promoting myself to gaming companies. So just because you really want to pursue fantasy, don't think you have to limit yourself to just Kind of gaming companies or book covers, because um, you know a lot of those other jobs pay more than gaming, as I'm sure is widely known. so
1: well, I think that I think that kind of fits into the question of fantasy illustration versus generalized uh, commercial work. and the other work may indeed pay more uh, and in in as you mentioned, there are a lot of larger options as far as you know across the spectrum, different opportunities to do generalized commercial illustration versus fantasy. But as you mentioned, it's a it's a personal choice to do uh, fantasy illustration versus that. So if that's what you really Enjoy doing I mean, I remember when I was in art school and I was drawing vases and you know boring landscapes and and uh, you know that was not exactly appealing to me when when the uh, my painting instructors was, were telling me that this is what painters do. you know they go paint uh, flowers and mountains uh, you know but there's this whole set of of painting that's used for commercial purposes that fits the aesthetic of something other than that, that still has the qualities and and the components of fine art or of of other, you know, types of, of painting, but can really be marketed to a certain set of the population which has an interest in, you know, goblins and dragons and that kind of thing. So is I think when Grant posed this question, he was trying to get us to talk about even if you want to be a fantasy illustrator where you you know can paint the, the things that you really enjoy versus being able to get more work as a generalized illustration, what makes you decide to make that decision? You know, is it about purely about making money? Is it is it about being able to do the kind of work that you enjoy? Um,
2: I think that's the crux of it, right? Do do what you love. Um, I guess my whole point was you can still maintain that subject matter yet still spread it to different markets. That was kind of my point. So,
0: Well, one of the things I was talking to someone – Um, just recently about was, you know, what is it, it's April right now, it's tax time, I'm pulling together all my invoices and, you know, I'm, I'm seeing exactly how much I made last year and what my expenses are and I'm sure all the other illustrators out there are doing the same thing and really thinking about my schedule, you know, when things are approached to me like, do you want this job or whatever your schedule, thinking about, okay, how how should I plan my time in the next year? You know, um, in the fantasy genre, it's just seeming like there's very few clients or overall opportunities that pay like a realistic livable wage to be full-time. So we're talking, you know, jobs where on average, let's say, after an entire year, you make 30 grand and up, you know, 30 to 35 grand. Let's say that's a baseline, you know, for a livable, acceptable wage as an artist. Um, If you're going to be full time, I'm just stating some numbers. But seeing what I made at tax time here and thinking about, okay, this year, the year coming up, the year we're going into, um, now maybe I should, be a little more purposeful in targeting specific clients for for the money, targeting specific jobs. And I was having a conversation with a friend of mine about this, like can we list all the sorts of illustration jobs in the fantasy genre that would pay a wage that would allow you to make that sort of 35 grand a year? And it comes about that maybe – you know you've got card art that pays you know the top card art pays about a thousand book covers pay I'm not sure maybe a thousand to two thousand. you've got the sale of originals, which I guess depending on the size, complexity and overall quality
1: book covers will will pay more than that
0: they will okay yeah. yes yep what's the range there in book covers right now?
1: Well, I think it's I think we can safely say it's general knowledge because I've heard it many places and seen it print a number of places that uh some place like tor um has a generalized cover fee uh which is around three grand to thirty five hundred
0: mm-hmm okay mm-hmm. that's good I, to know not r p g covers though i think r p g covers is is down in the two thousand sort of range or even less actually. But the real discouraging thing is those fees have been that way for decades. <laughs> mm-hmm. But my point is here, just to wrap up, is, you know, really starting to think and be a little more picky, you know, the jobs that come across my desk and, you know, the targeting. What, what am I going to look for? Where am I going to take my portfolio and my, my self-promotion to? Where am I going to put my energies if if I'm actually going to, you know, do this full time and and make a livable wage. Um, It just seems like the opportunities are pretty, pretty small. Like there's not a lot of them. There's not a lot of companies that pay these wages and it's very competitive. So I think then relating that to the question of, um, are we in the right field? What about generalized commercial illustration? What about other types of clients it's it's almost unless you're you know a, a top tier very established fantasy illustrator if you want to be full time I think it's almost a necessity to have that attitude and to be open to those other types of clients I I personally can't imagine somebody being full time not you know not having cemented themselves with you know, a large portion of top-tier clients and being picky about just taking fantasy work. I'd be surprised if there's if there's anyone out there that can actually make, make that distinction and make it work. What do you guys think?
1: I can only comment to – since I'm not in that situation, I can only comment to what I have heard. And without trying to be hearsay, I have – spoken to a number of top-tier, you know, what we would consider top-tier fantasy illustrators who have said in my presence about taking jobs that had a good wage, um, you know, and they were able to fit it into their schedule around their you know, fantasy painting, their book covers of stuff that they really wanted to be doing. Um, but they had taken the job because it paid well and they were able to fit it in in, the t- in a time frame that worked for them. And since it fulfilled those criterias, uh, you know, they took the work. It, it also enables them to do the type of work that they want on a more regular basis if they can supplement, you know, that, those times when they don't have that kind of work.
0: So for anyone who isn't an established top-tier fantasy list. Straighter at this point, so for the people, you know, looking at this as a career possibility or people who are currently graduating from school or people who are, you know, currently working, say, part-time in this to try to eventually, you know, work their way into a full-time gig, are are we then saying we believe it's a necessity then to be open to other types of commercial illustration?
1: I would say it's
2: why wouldn't you be open to it? I mean it's that's the beauty of freelancing you can decide at the time if the budget and time frame and subject matter is something you want to take on. I mean that's what I love about freelances is, is you never know what that next project's going to be and you can decide to do it or not. Um kind of going back to what Mark says, I recently did a um you know a rush book cover um not even in the fantasy field um It's really a subject matter that I wouldn't normally do, Um, but it was easy. It paid decent. It only took me a day to do. Um, It's something that would never even come close to my portfolio, but it was quick. It paid well. Um, So, yeah, you, you take those jobs when you can do it. And kind of going back to what I was saying before, Kind of all these things we're talking about is, is all the more reason to kind of spread yourself through different markets because when when you're not getting those book covers or, or even a lot of card work, you know you might be getting some uh, some magazine work or or maybe um, you know a designer hires you to do something for um, an iPhone thing or, or whatever. Um, and to me, I love doing those things because it, it it brings variety. Like I personally, I'd get bored if I was doing the same exact thing all the time.
0: Mm-hmm. So I don't, I guess, you know, what I was talking about, my question was more, okay, if we've decided that, you know, it's not only essential financially to cast a wider net, but, you know, it might be refreshing and fun, um, where do we go from there and and how how do we actually target these other fields? Or we all know the fantasy art field. We know the few companies out there that, you know, that are around, we know the art directors, you know, we know the other artists, but these other fields, I, I would think they would have their own industry knowledge, their own standards, their own, yeah. you know, you, technicalities. You have to, How do we get into that?
2: You have to invest in self-promotion, and that's probably a whole other podcast, but um, you're not, you know, going to fantasy conventions, you're not going to meet the art directors and art buyers at, at advertising agencies or anything like that, um, the kind of work that you're talking about. So, again, like some of those paid – I know a lot of people don't think you should um, buy into some of those paid sites where illustrators kind of advertise their work because um, there are so many free venues. But, I mean, I can say it's – every year I've done it, it's it's more than paid for itself. And like I said, it's it's been with projects that I wouldn't normally get. I wouldn't even have thought to even try to get. But they're still fun and they're still fantasy. And is, that, is
1: that how you got that recent uh, book cover job that you were just talking about?
2: No, that one was for an art director that I did some kind of more historical fiction covers for, and she moved company. I didn't know she moved companies, but she did and, and sent me an email, And you know, knowing that's why it always pays to do a good job for people, and, and they'll remember you, you know. Um, so basically I, I helped her out and, and did, that, did this, that rush thing. But, uh, so yeah, that was, that was, I I'd, I'd chalked that up to just kind of having a good business relationship with a previous art director. Um, obviously never burn your bridges and do, good, do the best you can every job you get. You know, whether, whether it's a really low paying game card or a book cover, I, I generally put the same amount of, well, almost the same amount of, um, work in generally cards or simpler compositions. But, um, I You know, I don't kind of give them a different quality of work. That's why, as far as gaming cards, I know a lot of people, especially in gaming, they'll accept, I don't know how many people accept. I would assume they'd accept like half dozen or even ten or whatever. I generally accept less just because I know it's going to take me a long time to do it, you know, even if it pays less. So, so for these I other types if,
0: of clients, I don't know, how do we pursue them? Where are they? What are the venues that we find well, about them.
2: The iSpot dot com is the one I use, and I've had good luck with. Um, I know there's some other ones out there that I haven't tried. I think there's one called Hire an Illustrator, and I, I don't even know some of the other ones. There is the
1: Hire an Illustrator. I've seen that one.
2: Yeah, the other thing you can do is, is subscribe to some of these um, email lists who have they have um, or not even email lists. They're Art Director lists, and they have all the magazines and North. Well, you can subscribe worldwide if you want, but I generally stick to North America. But um, you can get um, all the magazine publishers, U.S., Canada, all the advertising agencies, all of the entertainment companies. So you might get stuff doing work for commercials or you know, pre-production stuff. Um, so it's all these art buyers. You wouldn't even know where to get those names. You know that's why it's it's it's. I think it's worth the investment to get some of those names. I pers my. The thing with fantasy work, though, your work is so specialized that by casting such a wide net, it's kind of a waste in some ways, but it does get you in front of people you wouldn't see other, you know, you wouldn't be able to promote yourself to otherwise, so. Well,
1: I guess that begs the question, if you're going to be making that effort to get the work in other fields, others, other areas of of generalized, as we're calling it, illustration, should you be creating other portfolios for that type of thing? And if so, is that going to take away from your main, you know, your main time spent in what you really want to be doing?
2: Yes. (laughs) Well, thank you. (laughs) But there's ways, okay, if you're into gaming and you're pursuing whatever, D&D or magic, those obviously have certain aesthetics and require a certain kind of portfolio, Um. But the fantasy net can go a little wider. Like if you did a few samples that look more historical, like maybe King Arthur or things like that, all of a sudden that opens up a whole another set of opportunities to you, maybe educational kids' books or, or a children's book based on Robin Hood or just whatever. It opens you up to a whole different thing, um, a whole whole bunch of other opportunities than if you were just to, say, have, like, you know, a magic card portfolio. Well, it kind
1: of so, makes, makes me think of uh... – James Gurney's, let's call it a portfolio at this point. I don't know if that's what you'd really call it, but if you you look at his work, um, let's let's stick with looking at his Dinatopia work. You look at his Dinatopia pieces, and you know individually, depending on what part of the image you're looking at, you know it could fit into so many different realms. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. It, 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 there are a lot of there are a lot of his pieces that if you took the dinosaur out of them, they could be you know a in a National Geographic magazine. They could be you know as an as a Benetton ad, you know what whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's it's you know it's in a lot of cases it is um, one or two components of his work that make it fantasy and make it fit into the genre that he's, you know, he's selling to at that point. But, you know, he can just as easily probably get, you know, National Geographic work, which he has gotten, you know, whatever, um, even with his fantasy stuff. So I then – so that kind of leads me to the question, is it a good idea to direct the way you do your fantasy work in a way that – is more marketable to a wider audience in addition to the fantasy stuff, like like Gurney does?
2: I mean, I think it's a smart idea, but at the same time, if you're not going to be completely happy bending your own aesthetics to those other markets and genres, then don't have it in your portfolio. You know, whenever I do a new sample, I always try to, you know, if I start, like lately I've been doing a lot of middle grade covers, which I – I do love, but like I mentioned before, I do like a lot of variety. So every time I do my own stuff, I want to steer it in other directions that I want it to go. Um, And I think that brings up another one of, I don't know if it was Grant's questions or not, but how do you, what was the next question? Something about how do you steer your portfolio to get the kind of work you want to get or something? Where
1: should my portfolio be going and how do I make it happen?
0: Nice segue.
2: Well, yeah, so obviously it should be, when you do your personal work, if, you're, if the kind of work you're getting is not what you're ultimately happy with, or even if it is, and you just want other kinds of work in addition to it, then you steer it in that direction. Um, and I kind of go, it kind of reminds me of something Scott Fisher told us at one of the IMCs about how he had a dry spell at one point, and I don't know if you guys remember this, but, and he talked about how he spent an entire month just building a middle grade young reader portfolio. And by the time he was done with that and sent it out to the world, he started, of course, getting work again. But then he had a whole other avenue that his work could go, and he started getting all these young reader covers. So, again, that's just his analogy is that every illustrator has to spin a lot of plates, and you keep all these plates spinning. So when one plate stops, you know, you have other plates going. So, Mm. um, like, again, it keeps going back to without – being a jack of all trades, if you can spread yourself into different markets, it will help you. And and you can do it while still maintaining the fantasy thing. Um, you know, all that being said, if, if you're really your first love is just gaming art and that's all you want to do and, and you want to deal with, you know, those budgets. I mean, obviously you can work yourself up to bigger budgets, but, you know, do it if that's what you love the most. I just think it could be a smarter business move to... Open yourself up to some of these other avenues.
1: Does Does anyone actually know anybody personally, uh, an illustrator, friend, or you know, peer, or whatever, who makes their living solely by doing fantasy card art? In yep. in, in In all reality, that's yep. that's all they do. That's the only
2: I know type a of people, illustration yeah.
1: work. You talking about just cards? Like Like just fantasy card work? Like for you know whoever, you know, the, the type of stuff we're talking about that we don't think that you can make a living at, which is why you're going to spend an, um, you know, a million other
2: plates. You can. I know Drew Baker lives near me. I know he does.
0: I was going to say Drew. <laughs> yeah. Also, Eric Deschamps, I believe, does. And then yeah, I think but,
1: Well, well, no, Eric, Eric Deschamps does not because he does a number of other things as well. He, uh, he does work for uh, some comic companies. He does work for... Um, some animation type of, of work that I've seen and talked to him about. So he, he doesn't just do those. Mm-hmm.
2: So I know you can do it. I think it requires some, you know, some financial smarts to make it work. For I, sure. I think
0: one of the the keys there, too, is if you're an oil painter and you can, you know, get your $1,000 card art commission and then your $1,000 sale of original on top of that, Right. you know, then – two three cards a month suddenly becomes a very livable wage right of course there's no guarantee they'll sell but no there's i and i think it's a big thing in the uh, the freelance gaming art industry too of people with working wives or people with other streams of income
2: and some some card descriptions just don't even lend themselves to the kind of work that would sell mm, exactly. as a traditional painting you know
0: exactly yeah
2: so okay.
1: <laughs> so where should where should your portfolio be going then? Um, if you are the guy, if you are the Drew Baker, and you want to be doing nothing but fantasy work, well, I guess th- I guess this question does not pertain to the Drew Bakers of the world. I think it pertains to the Scott Fishers of the world that want or think they need to be spinning, you know, a a million different plates so that they have options in the event that one plate falls to the ground. So
2: where it should be going, a lot of that depends on what you're interested in. What do you like to draw and paint? Whenever I do a person, I personally don't like doing architecture or just um, technological, non-organic things. Um, You know, I've done a couple sci-fi things in my day, but it's not my first love. So whenever I do – I never – really incorporate a lot of heavy architecture into my personal stuff, just because it's not what I enjoy, you know.
1: I've noticed that about your work, and I've actually mm-hmm. – it's one of the things that draw me to your work, because I have a very similar hang-up. I don't like non-or- non-organic non stuff. It's like yeah. – even though I like – I love sci-fi, you know. I've been a, a Star Trek, Star Wars kind of guy for, you know, since I was a little kid. But, you know, when it comes down to actually painting – you know, really mechanical, really architectural type of things. It's just, it does not draw me.
2: So it's completely conscious on my part and I don't have a lot of it in my portfolio and I don't get that kind of work, which makes me happy because I don't want to do that kind of work. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe once in a a while if it's not too bad, but you know.
0: The point I was going to make about the question, where should my portfolio be going pertains to also quality like, for instance, I've known and I know people that have, you know, large portfolios. They've been working a long time at their craft, but the work is all sort of like, you know, B-level, B-plus level. And they just don't – I mean, they've done all this work, and they have a lot of experience, let's say, but they never really show a certain, like, A-plus, triple-A polish to any piece. And I think what your portfolio needs is – is definitely some some door-opening pieces, some pieces that um, you can really hang your hat on and are conversation starters. If your portfolio is is solid and and blue-collar and workmanlike, that's going to get you certain types of jobs, but it's not going to instill the confidence in the top-tier art directors that you can elevate your game. Even though, you know, you may be
2: able to do that,
0: no problem and maybe the quality of your work is being held back by the types of jobs you've been getting or you know the the level of compensation for those jobs or the time you've had to put into them i i'm a firm believer that you need you know a few a few superlative pieces in your portfolio and if it takes you know spending some time doing personal pieces to to get those in your portfolio, then I think that's time well spent. Rather than um, having a portfolio that that never really bumps up too high, it's just a static flat line. I, I think you definitely need you need some things that can wow people, that can get you noticed.
2: Yeah, of course you can't just have one or two showcase pieces like that, because then the art director is going to think, well, what happened on all these other pieces? So once you do one, you got to do a whole portfolio of those. <laughs> that's kind of the catch twenty two.
0: Mm-hmm. But I guess what I'm saying is is for somebody who's developing a portfolio, you just have their eye on you're going to get more leverage out of, you know, one awesome piece than like four average pieces.
2: Yeah, obviously a good piece in there is not going to hurt you, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. But, I, thought that I, know, I, know, I thought that would have been obvious. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that, that's actually a dilemma that a lot of people that do a lot of gaming cards get into because – they accept so many of those kind of low-paying um, jobs that they they end up doing more quantity than quality, and they just don't have time to do those showcase pieces that you're talking about. Um, and I know that's a tra- that's a trap that a lot of like uh, gaming illustrators get into. I think.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I know I know there's uh, even some some of that on our own podcast here, and, and I think it was. I think it was one of the recent podcasts too, where Mark Sheff was talking about he him personally, and and um, I don't. I'm I'm only going to paraphrase here because it's if you want to know exactly what he said, go back to the podcast. And if you don't know which one it is, listen to all of them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but which,
2: he, uh, to
1: there you go. <laughs> but but he was talking about how he was taking you know a lot of um, lower paying you know fantasy card art type of jobs that were taking him a lot of time for low pay and he wasn't able to he wasn't he didn't he started to feel like he wasn't able to take his art in the direction he wanted to go to the level he wanted to go and and you know have the compensation that he was looking for to get for it um so so took you know made the decision to take an entirely different direction on how he was going to proceed with his art career um So there's, you know, so there's definitely some of that, like you were saying, that you, you, if you're not, if you are getting jobs that, you know, are what you're considering the type of jobs you want to get, but if they're not providing you with the ability to get better or to be financially secure, you need to figure out a way to do that. Uh Because, you know, unless in, in – and I, I've heard this term used by some of our peers, and it's it's almost a derogatory term. Um, but for, if, if you're not getting better at your craft and you're not getting paid well enough for it to be your job, you basically are a hobbyist. And nobody can l- live as a hobbyist if that's their main source of income <laughs> without some other options.
0: And I think further to that too, once people know you in the industry and let's say you've been you've been around for five years you've been going to the conventions and meeting the art directors I think there there's probably a danger of getting pigeonholed too uh, like a quality pigeonhole or a subject matter type pigeonhole um, if if your work isn't say changing significantly from from year to year when you meet these art directors or when you you know have have times that you're showcasing yourself there's probably a danger that you could be pigeonholed as being a guy that say only does interiors and will never be a cover guy what do you guys think about that the uh, the perceptions that can be pitfalls when when you're trying to develop a a reputation well i have, I
1: have <laughs> i'm sorry go ahead alan
2: it's mean, up to the artist to prove those art directors wrong and, and do better work. You know?
1: Well, there that that's true, but I I have an anecdote myself from Dragon Con last year. I I sat through a panel where Lou Anders from Pyre Books was speaking. And I think Mark Sheff was actually on that panel. Um, but anyway, he there were a number of people who were trying to break into the industry there and they were asking, you know, the same questions that everybody asks, you know, over and over again, um, about getting work. What what do they need to get work? Uh you know, what does their portfolio need to look like? And you know, somebody wanted to be doing book covers for Lewanders at Pier. And what he said to the people or the person who asked the question was that he will look for people who have done cover work in order to give them the opportunity to do cover work for him. So if you've done cover work before, you know, he's more likely to give you work at his company. And that. so then the next question was, well, you know if you need cover work to get cover work for you where do you get the cover work and he mentioned that there are smaller publishers that are lower paying publishers you know kind of specialty presses and that type of thing um, which will give you know give more opportunities to starting artists but again they're they're lower paid they're they're kind of they're the kind of stuff that you a lot of times will see you know, at a flea market and the covers are kind of, eh, you know, this is not the top quality work that, you know, you're going to see in the industry. Um, But it is a good stepping stone. Now, the catch-22 with that was that in the very next breath, he said that he won't hire cover illustrators if they've become known as a second-tier publisher, Illustrator cover illustrator
0: I remember that conversation on that podcast actually yeah. and so you know oh,
1: that that's a that's an issue too where you know if you're not showing that you are growing you know even the people who are looking at you you know that taking that experience as experience are going to start looking at you as someone who's not growing someone who's not going to be able to fulfill their needs if not right now sometime in the near future
0: well, and that's why I, I asked this question is because so much of the promoting yourself and and the securing of new work is done via person-to-person live interaction at conventions in this field. So these art directors, you're going to have reviews with them. You're going to have conversations and, and perhaps be in social settings with them. They're going to know you by name over the years and – you I hope? think that's that's a real danger is is the being pigeonholed. Like for instance, one of my clients that I'm not going to name, they have um, you know interiors and they have covers on their products, and it seems like the cover artists don't do the interiors and the interior artists don't do the covers. So I have a suspicion that the art director you know basically has labeled people as, okay, I'm going to call this person when I have X job and and this person when I have Y job. And I think that can be a very difficult trap to break out of because, yeah, is exactly that conversation that you mentioned, Mark, it's, well, how do I get samples of X if I'm always getting commissions of Y?
2: Yeah, do it in your spare time. Build your portfolio. And the other thing I want to mention is that What you mentioned about that art director, um, who was it, Lou Anders, you said? Yep. You also got to remember that that's his personal opinion and the way he works. There are some art directors, even at major publishers, that will take chances on people. I know Irene's a good example of that. Obviously, the portfolio, Irene Gallo at Tor, um, obviously the portfolio has to show professional quality and all that stuff, but she's been known to, to hire people almost fresh out of school, you know? Um, I don't know if she needs to see some. Someone has actually gotten cover work before she'll assign it. Um, mm-hmm. So I mean, just because that's the way he works doesn't mean that's the way everybody works. So well, yeah, I guess. Go ahead. Go ahead well, an,
0: another strategy then I'm just going to suggest would be maybe to make samples of whatever type of work you're targeting, like for instance, covers. Um, just just mock up fake covers. Just Mm-hmm. Make stuff that looks like a cover and put text on it, and I think that'll be a much more compelling sell to an art director than you know an image outside of its context. So I think that would that would be a smart strategy for people is to make sure they really understand um, the specific usage of the type of work and maybe promote it in a way that supports it.
2: Yeah, I think that might help. And, and in the situation you were talking about at the at the, the company that you suspect pigeonholes people for interiors and covers. Um, you know, if you're one of those interior guys, if you put together a good cover portfolio and express your interest in wanting the cover work, you know, if, it, if it's up, I mean, obviously I'm not the art director and I'm could only assume that if it was good enough to publish, they would give you that shot, you know? Um, of course, I'm just speculating. I don't know why an art director wouldn't, Put good cover work on a cover. That you know what I mean. Mm. So, but if if all that interior artist has done is just interiors, um, how does the art director know that you be good at the covers? You know, without showing them.
1: I have read that a lot on even um, the art order blog when uh, John Schindelheady will because he fields a lot of these kind of questions from people who are trying to work specifically for. For Dungeons and Dragons, and and like you said, you know, everybody has their way of doing things, and everybody has their, you know, the way they're going to handle it for their product. Um, but even even in the with the portfolio type of thing, um, you, you know, you're, you're going to get hired for uh, what's in your portfolio. Um, I had a um, a portfolio review with with John and. Um, you know he looked through my portfolio and and you know the first thing he asked me was, "Well, what kind of work am I looking to get because my my personal portfolio the one that I was showing him the one that I was pretty much my general portfolio was more of a book cover portfolio you know most of my images were formatted book cover style you know they had the kind of imagery you know the for the kind of work that I was hoping to get um, but it other than getting feedback from him on what it, you know, what he thought of the portfolio in general, it wasn't a portfolio, you know, that was marketed to working for Dungeons and Dragons, you know, doing the kind of work that, you know, he was actually looking for. Um, so, where was I going with that? <laughs> I don't remember.
0: I think you're just talking about the relevance of your, of your yeah. samples to, to getting the work. Right. But I know.
2: I know. John in particular wants to see that you understand his world too. Um, you know, if you can show that you know what a an D and D elf looks like, if you can show what a dwarf looks like, that goes a long way, I think, with him in particular.
1: Right. That's what I was going for. Um, the uh, the fact that you know someone's going to hire you based on an image that you show them that that will allow them to see that they are going to be able to use it to sell their product. You know, if you are going to show them interiors for, you know, a book, and you say, well, I want you to give me cover work. Well, you didn't show me anything that, that proved to me that you can sell my product using a cover illustration. You proved to me that you can create something for the interior. So, you know, if I think you definitely have to, and this actually kind of rounds back to, to Grant's question, you know, your portfolio needs to be... Put together in a way, and if we've said this before, if you need multiple portfolios, you know you need to have your portfolio display the kind of work you want to do and the level of work that you are able to, you know, that you want to get. And the whatever art director's got to be able to see that your illustrations are going to fill their requirements to sell their product because ultimately yeah. it comes down to selling products. Yeah.
2: Even on a very specific level, well, we can keep going with Wizards of the Coast as an example. I mean, a Magic card portfolio should look a lot different than a and d portfolio. Absolutely. You know. So know your, know who you're showing it to. A um, little research probably would be uh, handy in that. Situation. Here's the notion, though.
0: What do you guys think of the notion that – you can. It's easier to drop down a level than to to be assumed to go up a level. So if you have a really kick-ass color portfolio of cover-type images, is, it can be easier for the art director to say, you know, this month I have a bunch of half-pagers, quarter-pagers, spot illustrations, to get that work versus the guy that has the portfolio of that to get the cover work. So, yes, apples to apples, oranges to oranges, you want to show the type of work in your portfolio that you want to get. But from the other side, you know, when work is offered to you, would it be fair to say that you will be offered a wider range of work if your work in your portfolio is of more of the finished top-tier sample than the more limited – Um, simpler samples?
2: Uh, I think so. I'm
1: going to say yes.
2: Yeah, if your portfolio exhibits that top-tier stuff, you'll be, obviously, you'll be offered more kinds of stuff. And I think some art directors, even if it's a book cover portfolio and it it is that um, A quality that you're speaking of, some art directors might kind of test you out on something smaller just to see if you're good to work with, um, see if you, you know, aren't like, Hounding him for cover work or whatever, you know. You're happy doing the smaller job. Um, no complaints. Good to work with. Make your deadline. Um,
0: Less risk. And th-
2: yeah, and then if, if if you work out for a few small ones and, and you're you're still accepting the small ones, it shows that you're hungry for that that brand or whatever you're working on. Mm-hmm. Um, then they'll probably move you up, you know. That I would assume. Yeah.
1: Well, I know. Again, back to John Shindeheddy. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know when he asked me what I wanted to be doing and I told him cover work, he, he told me good. And he's like, because, you know, if your whole goal is to be doing Dungeons & Dragons, you know, work, he's like, even though I love it and it's what I do, he's like, if, you know, if that's your top tier goal, he's like, that's not a really lofty goal. <laughs> um, he said that, you know, if 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 you are striving to do cover work, and I look at your portfolio, and I see it's all, you know, top-tier cover work. I know you can do work for me. Right. And that's what he said, you know, specifically. So I, I have to believe that he would rather see higher-tier, you know, work that he can dumb down if he needs than to try to take on faith that somebody can do higher than the level of, that they're, they're showing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of common sense, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> but I, I it think, isn't. I think it I, isn't
0: though. I mean, in another, if you want to spin that differently, I mean, some of the smaller types of jobs, let's say, would have to be done faster because you would get art orders of a greater number at the same time, or maybe they're more concept heavy, or maybe you know you have to be good at black and white or line work. So I think there's there's other nuances or skills that might have to be pulled out that could be masked in a larger work that say is massaged for a longer period of time with provided references.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Like like uh, concept
0: art is a whole whole kind of another skill. It's a different skill to be creative versus yeah. to be technical. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Which
1: which is why Mark Molnar can put out drawings every day. <laughs> He's generally a concept artist.
0: Yeah, to speak on that, though, no, I, I agree with that because I find, you know, in the past when I've done concept art, you know, you, you get that that visual vocabulary flowing, and, and you get that certain practice in that certain area. But if you if you stop doing that and be more of a technician for a while. I think it's easy to get rusty with creativity, just as easy as it is to get rusty with with general hand skills. What do you guys think about that?
2: Uh, yeah, I'd agree with that, I think.
1: I think any skill that you don't use, you get rusty, yeah. or, no matter what it is.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's why I sometimes I feel like I get rusty at life drawing, because I don't get a chance to do it that much, you know? <laughs> It's not that I'm not drawing, but as far as life drawing, I need to make that a more of a priority. Mm-hmm. Well,
1: it's, you know, it's the it, – this comes up, you know, a lot too where, you know, we talk about the 10,000 hours uh, for getting better at something. Well, you know, I can I can sit here and, and paint for, you know, 12, 16 hours straight. That's not doing anything for my sketching ability. I mean, it, th- there are some similar things, but, you know, drawing is yeah. not painting, Right. Painting is not drawing. You know, concept arting is not card arting, um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it's just it, kind, of, kind of the nature of it.
2: And even if you are painting or drawing, it it, it you might not be stretching your abilities or, or stepping outside your comfort zone to really try to improve yourself, you know. Exactly.
0: So. Yeah, I, I did something a couple months ago where I was actually trying to do the draw every day routine,
1: and You're after a, a on the letter on the alphabet, didn't yeah,
0: you? no, I didn't get too far. Maybe a couple of weeks worth, but uh, I mean, I it made me realize what my tendencies were. Like, geez, I'm sort of drawing the same thing every day. I'm I'm drawing the same sorts of subjects, doing the same sorts of things, and it, it really makes you realize when you do have you know a long period like that of of repetitious drawing. What your tendencies are, and maybe what your weaknesses are too. So, you know, if we're trying to practice, we have to be really mindful of: are we are we practicing the same thing we practiced yesterday, or are we practicing something completely new today?
2: And that's a good point to practice kind of that self-analysis too, to to really kind of see what you're doing. And like you said, it became clear to you once you tried to implement it, as opposed to more of an abstract just thought about it, you know. Well, exactly,
0: because you can look back on your portfolio and maybe make inferences, but, you know, that portfolio might have been, you know, developed over a five, ten year period where your skills ebbed and flowed in, you know, changed. So, it's like at any given time, you know, like let's say you did what I did and drew for two weeks every day, I think that would be a good audit of, of your current skill set to see geez I, I I really can't draw hands right now or I'm really avoiding mechanical things or you know because hey, hey, hey. you might you might trick yourself that you can do those things <laughs> because you've used certain references in the past.
2: I think he just took a jab at you.
0: No I I'm I'm there too. <laughs>
2: Must draw more mechanical things.
0: Must draw forgiving things. Trees Well, why don't we move on to then the last topic, which is winter blaze. How to survive, thrive, and not let your art take a nosedive.
1: I think you should uh,
0: start with
2: this one, Mike. How uh, are the
0: winters where you are? Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even have enough energy to talk about this now. (laughs) So, what day is it today? We're in April 8th, and... Literally we still have two feet of snow outside. I live in a place where we have basically six months of good weather, six months of bad weather, and nothing in between. Um so now that we want you just, tell
2: people where you live in case people don't know. I
0: live in uh, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, which is I think on the same latitude as Moscow. And it's I think one of the northernmost populated cities in the world. And it was minus twenty five for the better part of two months here.
1: Now this is Celsius. So I'm, I'm sorry,
0: see. I'm laughing. Yeah. Yeah. Minus twenty five Celsius, which for all I'm you sure, American
1: listeners out there who have no idea what that temperature
0: is. American thermometers I'm sure don't even go that low, so so minus twenty five is like
1: Zero. About yeah. here.
0: Yeah. Thirty is zero. Thirty Fahrenheit is zero. Celsius and zero to me is like, woo, that's nice. Like, I can actually go outside Shores. without three pairs of on. So, anyways, so do, yeah. So, do you get the blas? I get the blas. <laughs> it's been really bad. This is probably the worst year I've ever experienced for winter here. We've had like record snowfalls and record temperatures. It's just been brutal, totally brutal, and it's really done a number on me this year. I have had massive periods of total loss of motivation and energy, and I mean, now that it's spring, I'm starting to feel better and everything, but uh, sorry, no, I've spent the last four months inside wallowing in my misery. Winter really compromised my life. Um, just by the weather and, and being indoors, and now the reverse is happening. Where I just want to go out and like clean the garage and get the car washed and go for a walk and you can come clean my garage. <laughs> I would say, that, that that will wear off pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man.
1: Well, you live uh, relatively uh, north too, Alan, don't you? I mean, you're up in what, around Rochester. Yeah, I'm in Rochester, yeah. New York. I think it's some, they some bad winters up there that way, with the lake effect and everything, don't
2: you? Yeah, yeah, we lost our snow a couple, a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago now. Um, I'm probably not the best one to speak on this topic because I don't really get the blaws. Um, winter definitely does seem to drag on a lot, but um, not so much as a, I think having having a family, I think, just speeds up time. I mean, I don't know. I can't speak to not having kids at this point because I have them, so time just seems to fly by no matter what. But the one thing that stinks is um, our yard kind of slopes down towards the north and across the street slopes up. So across the street faces south, and literally the other side of the street, all the snow will melt off for like a week before ours will. It's really frustrating. It's like, it's spring right there, but (laughs) not where I live. (laughs) it's just literally across the street. It's, it's, uh, that kind of irks me a little bit. But uh, other than that, I, just, I don't know. I, have, I, I never lose my motivation to kind of work on my own stuff and work on the projects at hand. So not really the best to speak to as far as the winter blahs go.
1: I get the but, winter blahs real bad. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know how real it is or how, you know, scientific it is. But, you know, they do talk about the... Lack of getting sunlight in the generation of vitamin D in a you know person's body and and you know the the whole seasonal disorder thing whether it's actual really you know really true or people are just tired but um, I know that I, I have the type of internal clock where. I'm, I'm a morning person, so when the sun comes up, I'm like a farmer. I'm like, I'm motivated, I'm, I'm out of bed, I'm ready to go wherever are to go. As soon as the sun goes down, uh, I start shutting down. And I know a lot of illustrators work at night and, you know, are perfectly fine and happy working in the quiet and the dark until three o'clock in the morning. I'm, I'm totally different. I, you know, I, I can get my, my best work done first thing in the morning in the first four or five hours that I'm awake. You know, it's when I've got my, my, I feel most creative. I feel most energetic to do these kind of things. And when the wintertime comes around and I still have to go to my day job. So I wake up in the morning and it's dark and I drive to my day job and the sun is just coming out and I sit in front of my computer all day with no windows. So it's just the light you're getting from you know, the the fluorescent green tubes that are, you know, making everything look dead and and uh distraught. And then I get out of the eight that eight hours and get into my car and drive home while the sun's setting. So it's it's very depressing for me and even though Winter, there's not a lot to do. You can't go outside. You know, I'm sure Mike, you've got this experience. You're in your house. You know, there's nothing else is going on. So, you know, you've got all the time in the world, all the opportunity in the world. You know, assuming you don't have to, you know, tuck your kids in or whatever you got to do. But, you know, you're there. It's 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 perfect time. But my energy level just drops to nearly non-existent. Where, you know, I want to just hibernate for six months. And when I can muster enough energy to actually go work, it's definitely not creative time. It's definitely not, you know, very functional. I'll find myself doing, you know, putting the same brush strokes on four or five times because it's just, it's I'm not feeling it. It's, uh, you know, it's it is difficult for me. I I, I feel I feel for you, Mike.
0: Well, you're I, I wanted to mention something that. uh A number of years ago, we took, like, a trip to Greece, and we were there for maybe a couple weeks going around the island sightseeing. And so that was a whole week of, like, eating olives and olive oil and yogurt and, like, really healthy food, lots of tomatoes and Greek salad. And, you know, we're outside all day, every day, walking around, seeing the sights. And when I got back from that vacation, Like, literally, I had the best artistic output of my life, not because, you know, I was inspired by, you know, Greek art or anything, but literally, I think, just from the lifestyle, from the sun and the exercise and the food, it just really did a number on me in a good way. And I did the best work of my life after I came home from that trip. And conversely, you know, I I did make a mental note this year. There was a number of days in a row where, you know, I went in the house for lunch and, you know, ate crap, ate some, you know, Ichiban ramen noodle type stuff or, you know, some completely non-nutritious package type food for lunch. And remember thinking, geez, I have no energy. It, it's uh, It's the winter, but it's also, you know, the... The metabolism from lack of movement and maybe the food choices that you'll make in the winter, all these things together, I mean, they, they just go together. In, in places with good climate, you get, you know, fresh food and, and you get fresh air and you go outside. And in, in the winter, you know, you just have less of those options and, and they compound each other for this inactive lifestyle.
1: Yeah, I uh, I actually just got back from a trip to Florida and it is, you know, just about just about down to, you know, fr- freezing point here day and night for the last 6 months and having that week in the sunshine where I'm I was up and moving around and you know, a lot more energy, a lot more activity, you know, a lot more sunshine uh going on. I I was amazed at how quickly my motivation to, you know, just get back and start working on, you know, stuff that I had been putting off for weeks and months. I was like chomping at the bit while I'm on vacation, almost in some ways just wanting to get back home so I can work on the stuff that I've been putting off. So warm weather and, and more sunlight and more activity is definitely better for my creative workflow. So what but. are
0: what are other other ways to survive and thrive and not let your art take a nosedive? Move? Well, yeah. <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs>
2: so what, moving, exercise, what else? Um, I
1: know that they have those Gaia, the, right? those those lights um, full spectrum lights and some people swear by them. I think uh, I've had a conversation with Tara uh, Larson Chang who's on our blog Mm -hmm. um and she lives in Seattle so she's got a lot it's a lot of days of of rain and you know cloudy days um and I remember her saying that she you know swears by one of those lights out she felt a lot more energetic um you know able to work when uh she had one of those on a couple hours a day or whatever so that is one option um I can I can say that I've got full spectrum lights in my studio, and maybe they're not the right intensity, but I don't know that they necessarily do anything for me. But you know, they seem to work for some people, so that's an option.
0: Yeah, I don't know the science on that, but I mean, I have a big window where I'm working. It's the light isn't so much of a factor. I think it's you know getting direct. Sunlight on your skin, full intensity, so that your skin produces vitamin D. I mean, that's that's being outside. That's not something that you can you can replicate just by an artificial light. You know, I guess light for its own sake, just for how it makes you feel, is one thing. But what I'm saying is,
1: well, there are there are chemical processes that occur in the brain too that you know are are uh, affected by you know light light receptors in your skin and your eyes and different kind of things, you know, that um, melatonin and, and all kinds of other things that go on that give you, you know, tells your brain you're happy or or whatever else, you know. Uh-huh. So, you know, I don't know that it necessarily, from, from a scientific standpoint, specifically has to be outside sun, you know. It, um, True. True. It, it, I mean, I don't know exactly how it affects every individual, but, you know, the, the, there are things that something like that could do, and I'm sure it just depends on an individual person.
0: Mm-hmm. What about artistically or, you know, non, non-physical non stuff? What are sort of routines or, or things that we can do as artists?
1: I think like you said, too, you know, having a good diet you know wait if you're you know if if you are a morning person and you are typically your most productive in the morning you know maybe you should try to reschedule your days so that you know if you're most lethargic in the afternoon and in the evening whatever or, you know in the mornings you you know you feel better try to schedule your creative time you know for those periods um you know, if if food, uh, you know, your food intake is, you know, does something for you. Uh, you know, try to eat better and 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 try to take advantage of the benefits that you get from that. You know, if you're if you eat a meal and you feel better for an hour after that, maybe you should just, you know, again try to schedule your time to to get, get the most out of you know the times when you when you aren't lethargic and depressed. <laughs> Mm-hmm. If there are any of those
2: <laughs> caffeine that 's what I do
1: caffeine doesn 't work for me though really? and i don't, i don't know if it, if other people are, are you know have the same issue, but I mean, I can drink a cup of coffee that 's you know morning roast you know as much caffeine as you can get in it, and go right to bed it, it, it ca- caffeine doesn 't typically do much in the way of waking me up or or perking me up. Uh,
2: I hear what you're saying as far as that goes, but if I sit down and start working, it just keeps me focused for hours. So I think it has to do, for me anyway, it has to do with actually doing my art.
1: I think there is something to be said for actually sitting down
2: and doing the art, to getting it done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, your problem is you drank your coffee and then you went into bed. That <laughs> that was the
0: downfall.
1: Yeah, well, I was I've also doing noticed- it all over overnight as I was dreaming. Up with solutions.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> I've also noticed just having like commissions, having deadlines and things to do, where you know you, you don't really have the luxury of wallowing, you know, in yeah. in self introspection, where you're just sort of focused all day on a task, and you've got you know midterm goals. I find that um, that distraction of of that sort of focus has been a real help. So that I'm not self motivated or, or self unmotivated,
1: I would have yep. to agree with that
2: one, yeah, you got no choice you have to get it done,
1: yeah, people want to get paid, you gotta do the work whether you want to or not, so thats yeah. a, that that that's another that's a different <laughs> motivation that hits a different part of your brain and kind of plus you draw, just get that mindset
2: that. as yeah, you get that mindset as a professional too you just you just do it, even if you don't have a job in your table, You get up and do something. You know, work on your own stuff.
1: You say that, but you're you're, you're coming from the standpoint of someone who doesn't get winter depression. Yeah, <laughs> you know what? Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it, it is great. I mean, we we all rationalize, it, you know, in our own minds. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's just winter, whatever. We'll just get up and work, and who cares? You know, we'll work work through it. Until you get up and you go, huh? I'm going to sit on my couch and play video games. Because that feels good right now. That's why I, I,
2: I, <laughs> that's why I stay away from those at all costs, because I know that they're just time time consumers.
1: I made the mistake of starting to play Angry Birds. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I picked it up. and I'm like, just, eh, whatever, let me try. Everybody's talking about it. I don't care. I don't like video games all that much, whatever. I could not stop playing Angry Birds. It's like, and it was definitely one of those things where, all right, I can go sit down and draw something or I can just sit in this chair and play Angry Birds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, I think getting rid of those kind of distractions is probably oh, yeah. a good idea.
2: And if you know you have that kind of personality, which I know I do too, I just purposely stay away from that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's easy for me to say, but... I, I, I think
0: don't that think. can be said to the whole spectrum of choices in your winter routine. Like if your cupboard is stocked with, with junk and you might, you know, oh, yeah. make make yourself lazy and, and just choose those things and get into a down, downward spiral, you know. So if maybe you fill your cupboard with healthy food, you fill your schedule with interesting commissions, and maybe you have other commitments like, you know, some – some pickup sports or some some sports or routine that happens. You know, maybe you have a workout partner that forces you to go to a gym. I guess just, you know, making sure you have a routine and that the the default choices you're gonna make, you know, will uh will be the healthy, productive inducing choices.
1: I'm going to say going to a gym is a great idea because the exercise generates Hormones that are uh, make you feel good, uh, which will help increase your creative ability. You know, everybody. I think uh, you know, no, no matter what people say, I, I I don't necessarily believe that you know artists can only create when they're miserable. Because frankly, when I'm miserable, I can't create. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, you know, when I'm in a good mood, I have a much more easy, a much easier time. Being creative and, and being productive. And uh, when I, I, I have noticed in the past that in the wintertime, if I do go to a gym and work out, um, I tend to feel better. Have a, I, I don't want to say a, a normal level of energy, but I would say a, a higher level of energy than what I would normally have in the winter. Um, but I have also found that most people don't exercise. Of their own volition, unless they leave their house and go somewhere where other people can make them feel bad.
0: No, I completely agree with that. You have to, yeah. You have to have that commitment of getting changed in a change room and showing up and paying some money, and you know, then you're going to put your your hour and a half in and get your money's worth. Whereas if you just say, okay, I'm going to go, you know, go to my basement and do something, you know, you might stop after 20 minutes and, and having, doing it doing it
2: with somebody like you mentioned helps a lot too. Oh cause, yeah. Cuz cause if, cause if you don't show up and they do, you're going to hear about it, you know. Well,
0: and I think those well, things can extend to other things too, like if you if you have a friend or or a few friends that you go drawing with, you know, whether to a pub or to life drawing or if you have a friend that uh you know, you do some portrait painting or something with if you have a group that meets, that meets regularly, that induces that variety in your schedule, if that variety is physical or artistic, um, I think those sorts of, you know, demands by a third party are, are, are good things to make sure you have commitments. In. Yeah.
1: yeah, well, there there are definitely things that you will not do for your own self, you know, There are a lot of things that you won't do for yourself that you will do because you have another motivation of, you know, you don't want to let somebody else down. You don't, you know, you made a commitment to them that you don't want to break. You know, you're, if it's, if it's just you, a lot of times people, everybody, me included, will just be like, eh, whatever, I don't care. But when you're letting somebody else down, there's a, again, there's another part of the brain that doesn't want you to do that. It makes you feel bad. Mm hmm you know, and our, I think our brains in general try to not feel bad. So. I think
0: that's what I like about illustration in general is it's a very competitive field with really high standards, but those are really good things. You know, in in the overall scheme of giving you this additional motivation, uh, you know, I, I'd rather I'd rather do that than the opposite of you know work in a field where you just have to sort of mail it in every day. It's nice to be inherently challenged in your career.
1: Ch- Challenge is definitely something that no matter what the uh field you're working in, the, the, the more people are challenged, the more they're going to they're more they're going to show up, you know. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you just when you when you're not motivated, when you're not challenged, when you're not excited about what you're doing, when you're not you know, you don't have someone else pushing you to be better than you are. And most of human nature tends to make people not be any better than they are. <laughs> um, a lot of that external force and motivation, you know, pushes people to, to definitely get better at their craft or at whatever they're doing.
0: Mm-hmm. So, well, and I'm finding, like, even just the past couple of years, starting to go to conventions, like Elixcon is the only one I'm really going to these days. But, uh, I like, you know, the social, the social group aspect and the sort of, the expectations of, okay, well, you know, I better make sure my portfolio is good in November and I better make sure I have some new pieces and some things to sell and, and some things, you know, to feel proud about. It's, it's nice to have, you know, a, a peer group that you have to keep up with. What do you guys think about that? You guys are the
1: only reason I wake up in the morning.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's completely true. It gives you, like, a long-term goal. I don't go to many conventions either, but that that's one I'm going to again, and and I know by November I better have some actual original paintings, you know?
0: Exactly. I'm in the same boat, so which, that's, which that's is, a it, motivating it, factor.
2: Yeah, and it's tough considering most of what I do is digital, so i got to try to, you know, squeak out that time to actually do some paintings.
0: And all yeah. the ones
1: you had from last year, you sold, so...
0: Not all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> all right, well, why don't we wrap this up? i just bitter. Then? <laughs> <laughs> you sold one, too. Come on. I did. Did you sell one, Mark? I did. Which one? Um,
1: My Dungeons & Dragons pin-up shifter girl on a werewolf rug. So, <laughs>
0: I think I heard you talk about that, but I haven't seen it or it doesn't ring a bell.
1: It's on my website at okay. www.markarchard.com.
0: I will go there right now. <laughs> <laughs> Mark. Well, <laughs> you could also you could also hit
1: it at my old URL, heartchart.com. Sounds
0: Definitely. like you're wrapping up the show with your uh, website pimping there, Mark. Alan, why don't you go ahead and uh, pimp your website?
2: <laughs> that would be com, which actually, although it looks the same, has been retooled so that Flash is no longer a part of it. So feel free to look at it on your mobile devices.
0: I was just looking at your site, and I have to say, and I might as well say it live, I was quite impressed, and I like your work quite a bit. Congratulations, Alan. Thank you. And, Mark, I'm looking for the – oh, look at that. <laughs> I would buy that. I can
1: paint you another one if you want.
0: <laughs> yes, I actually that's... did
1: – I did that one for a uh, an art order challenge. Okay. And, and a guy by the name of Sean Hendricks, if you're up there listening, Sean, hello. Thank you very much. Um, he purchased that. Pretty much, sight It was it was one of those things where he he walked up and you know I don't know that he was familiar with me or familiar with my art, but he liked that image and he decided he wanted it. So, I was is that stoked.
0: digital or oil? Yes. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> that
1: that is a digital underpainting that was printed out and oiled on top of it,
0: and then digital after. No. No. Well,
1: okay. I'm sorry. The one on the website is my fully digital version.
0: Oh. The one
1: that the one the one that I sold was the oiled version. All right. Because obviously the digital version would be apparent. So. Um,
0: okay. Well, enough of you. My name is Mike <laughs> Sapp. <laughs> and you can who, find who, my work at. Yeah www.shutupmarkimespeaking.com and uh my blog is shut and you've been listening to the drawn today podcast
1: featuring Mark Hart
0: <laughs> featuring Mark Harshar <laughs> with uh Alan Douglas on beatbox yeah, <laughs> Okay, let's wrap this up. All like we <laughs> Thank are getting music in right now. The music is fading in. The Drawn Today podcast is a member of the Visual Artists Podcast Network, which can be found at the visualartistspodcastnetwork.com. You can contact us at drawntoday at gmail.com. Draw